Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, one of my favorite guests is back here to talk about some of the breaking situations that we're seeing in the NFL, both with free agent signings at running back and what he saw from closely observing the preseason action. It is the internet's foremost Aston Villa fan, <laughs> the wonderful underdog network host, Josh Norris. Josh, my friend, how are you? Oh, well, first of all, coming off a heartbreaking loss, uh, five to one with two ACL injuries <laughs> for my favorite football club. Uh, it doesn't get much worse than that when like 99% of the Aston Villa fan base uh, was really optimistic yes. for the season. Uh, second, and maybe most importantly here, mm-hmm. Bill, who has the record for appearances on your show? Would it be Brinson? Uh, Mina did a lot in the early days. Mina was on okay. like once or twice, sometimes twice a week. What about the modern, the modern era of the Bill Barnwell show? I feel so old. <laughs> you know, but, but, but we were recording uh, in, in black and white, you know. Uh, right. On, on, on the stone tracks. <laughs> Dial yeah, up. Yeah. In, in, yes. in, the, uh, in the CompuServe days, I feel like it was Mina. Like Netscape Navigator <laughs> was Mina. Now, uh, now I, I think Will is pretty high up there. Um, I'd have to think about it. I, th- I think Will is definitely in the group. Um, I would okay. say Doug Kide, our, our friend who works at uh, Boston Herald. Of course. Just left the, uh, the, uh, the this might be like my sixth or seventh You're, appearance. You, I feel like should have had you on earlier. Trying to make up for it, <laughs> trying to make up for it over the ensuing period of time. And I, I feel right. like this is a time in the NFL cycle where I, I'll be honest, and I hope you don't take this as an insult, Josh. We need sickos. We need people yeah, who I love are <laughs> absolutely looking at what's happening on a day to day basis in training camp and during the preseason yeah. games, where it might only be a few snaps to base your information off of. But Josh, I feel like as someone who, of course, focuses on this stuff anyway, but as someone who yeah. is talking about this content for fantasy, for best ball, over at Underdog, um, you know, the uh, there can be a dramatic shift in the rankings of oh. uh, Underdog in terms of just getting the right quote or the right uh, training clamp clip, let alone what yeah. you actually see in a usage game. Usage matters dramatically. Yes, it it, it really does. And, and Bill, uh, you come to the right place. Uh, I have watched every single preseason game from this weekend. So I'm any of them live. I'm tweeting out clips on Twitter all the time. Uh, follow me at Jack Norris. <laughs> and I can't wait to go through all of this with you because I know many people in the recent example is like, hey, Josh Jacobs played in the Hall of Fame game last year. Who cares about preseason? And look what he mm-hmm. did. You know, the NFL's number one rusher. But then if you read into it the next week, he sat as much as all the other starters did. Um, now, did I factor that into all my drafts last year? Absolutely yeah. not, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but a lot of this stuff, you really do get to see who was playing in three wide receiver sets versus two wide receiver sets. Are they showing like multiple tight end packages this year, like some teams are? Uh, running backs, who's getting what snaps and where and in what situation? So on and so forth. So I'm excited to run through a bunch of those mm-hmm. with you today. We're definitely going to talk about, about those situations that you saw from the preseason. But I think it also makes sense to discuss some of the changing matters that have come into play over the past 48 hours as, as running backs have oh, yeah. finally come off of the market. And so some of this is going to be, you know, sort of reading the tea leaves and reading maybe what we saw from the preseason without those guys 
involved. But we have two new additions, of course, Dalvin Cook going to the Jets. Let's talk first about the Patriots and talk about Ezekiel Elliott, who, by the way, Josh, as you may remember from our, our recording, uh, it has my highest exposed player on underdog fantasy yep. is Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. So um, Zeke goes to the Patriots on a one-year deal to mix in with Ramondre Stevenson. Obviously, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, fantasy holders, people who invested in Ramondre Stevenson in best ball, hoping for him to have a three-down role, be the primary back, get a ton of snaps, a ton of catches, a ton of goal line work. How do you think Zeke fits in? Well, I think most of that is going to remain intact. And just to put some ADP movement, average draft position movement over the last, you know, 48, 72 hours on this, Ezekiel Elliott has moved up from about the running back, I think, 55 up to the running back 50. Meanwhile, Ramondre Stevenson has dropped from the running back eight to the running back 11. He is now being drafted behind Jameer Gibbs. And just to jump to the final point here, Bill, I think that's a complete overreaction. Really? Because I think Ramondre is one of the most talented running backs in the league, point blank period. I do think he is perceived possibly inaccurately because of his monster size. And for that, people believe he's like a power back. In fact, he is a dancing bear. <laughs> the Derrick he Henry. is explosive. Yes, he, he creates these massive chunk gains and yards for himself, and he excels in the passing game. Um, just from eye tests, and I don't know if you know EPA and stuff backs mm-hmm. us up. And I think Patriots fans would agree with me on this. Probably Ramondre's weakest area is pure short yarded mm-hmm. situations. Now, do offensive lines play a major part in that in terms of blocking success equals running back success? One hundred percent. But I, I think that that is probably the number one factor here. And obviously we want our running backs to score touchdowns, but I don't think we're going to go back to Ramondre's rookie season when Damian Harris was, let's say Jamal Williams light and <laughs> scored 10 touchdowns inside the 10 yard line that season. And Ramondre only took like 23% of those carries because as we all know, you know, first year backs and a Patriots offense are in the yes. doghouse, essentially. like They are not trusted. So I think Ramondre has a lot of trust in the bank now. And this is more just to like alleviate some of that full-time workload where he's not going to be an 80% player, but probably closer, I don't know, to 65, 70%. Absolutely. And you talk about what Ezekiel Elliott can do and what he's he's good at at this point of his career. When you talk to people in the NFL and you say, okay, you know, why is Zeke still out there? Or why would your team want to sign Zeke? The first thing that comes up almost invariably is pass protection. Like, like that yep. is what his biggest asset is at the NFL level. There, there's an element of just, you know, where he's going to go. He's going to, I'm not going to make a mean center joke here. He's going to block well. He's going to, you know, be in the right spot. He understands protections. He's a, a, a able guy. He's going to, you know, get to some stuff that other guys aren't going to get to. Like there's that element of, you know, sort of if, if your primary responsibility is not there, you kind of look for work. You want to find a guy to block. Ezekiel Elliott is someone who's actually going to get to that second guy uh, who other other players might not get to and save your quarterback in a couple plays a year. So from the Patriots perspective, this makes sense. You're trying to rebuild yep. Mac Jones's confidence. You're trying to, to sort of build the infrastructure around him so he feels safe. He can be more confident when he does have to drop back and hold on to the football for a few seconds. He's going to have a running back there with him who's going to give him some confidence that, that he's not going to have to scramble or run for his life. And that was not always the case last year. And to me, that's not a knock on Ramondre Stevenson. Just that's what Ezekiel Elliott does at a really high level. Yeah, 
I'm totally with you on that. And how often can you say, oh, let's add a back off the street who we feel confident in passing situations mm-hmm. with? That That is really rare to find across the league. And I'll also add this, Bill. I, I think Ezekiel Elliott has become the butt of jokes in recent mm-hmm. years because of how good Tony Pollard mm-hmm. is. And many people take, well, Tony Pollard is more explosive and just flat out better, meaning that Ezekiel Elliott is mm-hmm. bad. I think you and I watching the games can say that that's not the case. Like, sure, he's not as explosive as as sure. he used to be. But to your point, pass pro and potentially goal line situations, he has areas where he wins. And hopefully now with a legit offensive coordinator, the Patriots do understand that. And that is absolutely. Part of and the salary matters, too. Right. I mean, I think he became sort of this poster boy for like this inflated salary, this this misguided notion of paying running backs. Um you know, it, it felt like he was sort of the the scapegoat for some of that stuff. And yeah, that's different. He's not making $15 million a year now. He's making a lot less, um, less than I think the $6 million price that was quoted that was with incentives he's not likely to hit. So, you know, he's making a much more reasonable salary. So in terms of football value, yeah. he can deliver and be a meaningful, uh, you know, have a meaningful return on what he's being asked to contribute here. Uh, before we move off of this, and not to make this entire conversation about fantasy football, but tis the season. Of course. Um, does this make Tony Pollard a first-round pick? Ooh. Right now on underdog, he's going as running back 6, 17 overall. In your home leagues, he might already be a first-round pick. Uh, to me, the answer is yes. I, I, I could see the argument, but what I find so interesting about this discussion, Josh, is that it's not just about Tony Pollard coming off of an injury. It's not just that Tony Pollard maybe ran a little hot last year in terms of, you know, long range touchdowns. Explosive yeah, touchdowns. I mean, yep. you know, he has that kind of ability, even who's not going to have as many as he had last year. He has that skill set to pull that off. But we have that famous quote from, I believe, Skip Pete is the Cowboys running backs coach, where he said, yep. uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, we don't want to use Tony for more than 30 snaps per game. And the Cowboys did not typically like using Tony Pollard for more than 30 snaps per game for most of his career. Towards the end of last season in the second half, we did see more. He played 72 snaps in the Packers game in week 10. He played 44 against the Giants, 41, 41, 39 down the stretch. But then he got hurt. He got hurt in the postseason, uh, injures his fibula. Uh, even if he's healthy for 2023, I think my question for you, Josh, is how much faith do we have with the Cowboys having already said publicly, we want Tony Pollard to be more of a 30 snap per game guy. How much faith do you have that right. he's going to get the, the 40, 50, 60 snap games he needs to rack up significant counting numbers? Yeah, I, I think he will. Um, I think he will. And I understand the point that the running backs coach was making because no matter what, when you play more either in that game or as the season goes along, it's just natural to think that those massive game changing explosive plays where I take a swing past 60 yards against the Minnesota Vikings to the house, uh, those will just regress Um, for us. You know, that can be outweighed by just volume specifically. And he has 13 career games where he's reached 15 touches. In those games, he's averaged 19.6 PPR points and 113 yards from scrimmage with 13 total touchdowns. So he's averaging, you know, a touchdown (laughs) per game in each of those. Uh, Not bad. Not bad, Bill. Absolutely. And we know the upside's there, no question. I, You know, when you're drafting in that range, like you want a guy who can have – Pat, of course, Pat Corain's thing, the legendary upside kind of season. Tony Pollard sure. has, to me at least, you know, if, if everything breaks right, that kind of ability. So 
some really smart people, mm-hmm. Bill, are ranking him as now the running back three. Wow. You know, Rich Rebar on the show, those types. And uh, to me, the key to all of this is if they have a different view of him now that Zeke is gone in goal line, short yardage situations. And I know that we've talked about this topic already and we're going to much more as we get to preseason. But through four NFL seasons, Tony Pollard has just 18 carries inside the 10-yard line and just 11 inside the five-yard line. That is a very small number. And if he's going to be successful this year as like the running back six overall or the running back three overall, he like has to double those numbers. You know, I mean, you're going to hear conversation – you know, if you're paying attention to fantasy football these days, it's about high value touches and the, yep. those are going to be your carries near the goal line and your receptions. Those carries are just so much more likely to generate significant value than your typical carry, uh, on the 30 or 40 yard line. Just the reality of, of fantasy football, the reality of real football. And I think, you know, teams do value those roles more than they value the guy who's just going to get a random bunch of touches in the middle of the field. So. We can talk about that. And another guy who I feel like we need to discuss in that context isn't directly Dalvin Cook, but what's sort of left by the situation Dalvin Cook did not go to. Um, and that's Miami, where the Dolphins, I think a lot of people were expecting Dalvin Cook to eventually end up there. He's from there. They have a running back uh, depth chart that did not really have a clear running back one. But I mean, I expected Zeke to go to the Cowboys, and that didn't happen. And Dalvin Cook did not go to the Dolphins. Dalvin Cook went to the Jets. And the Dolphins situation now suddenly seems like there's real confusion, which creates an opportunity. There's Raheem Mostert, of course. Jeff Wilson is back. But Devin Achain is there as a third-round pick. So, Josh, how do you handicap this situation now that we know Dalvin Cook is not going to be in Miami? And just to run through this, how they're being drafted right now in underdog. Devon A. Chain is being drafted as the running back 38. That's 112 overall. Raheem Mostert, the running back 48. And Jeff Wilson as the running back 56, who I believe of all three got the most money this offseason. Obviously, A. Chain was selected in the draft. Um, the A. Chain stuff is interesting to me. I can understand both sides of the argument. Uh, for one, he's a rookie and he's super explosive. Uh during his time at Texas A&M, he was also on the track team. So many people have theorized that that is the reason why he is lighter, around 190, 195 mm-hmm. pounds, uh, because now he can devote you know full-time effort into playing football. But despite that lack of weight, um, players did, defenders did bounce off him at times. And he, he really was almost a feature back in a Jimbo Fisher offense. The issue is in preseason week one, he ran as the team's fifth <laughs> running back. Uh, Jeff Wilson did not play. Raheem Mostert mm-hmm. didn't play. Miles Gaskin ran a lot and ran well ahead of Devon A-Chain. And then Salvin Ahmed mm-hmm. saw snaps before Devon A-Chain took the field. A-Chain did most of his business into the fourth quarter, especially in the receiving game. This is just one to track. If we, and it should be naturally happen, where Devon A-Chain by the end of preseason week three is you know running at least behind Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. If that doesn't happen, this is going to be like a late turn into success mm-hmm. to me if Devon A. Chain is going to do it. And because of that, it's a bit too rich for my blood right now of where he's going mm-hmm. to draft. Do you think that that he's going to get more of a bump in the weeks to come as people realize that he, even though he's not getting the run, that there's not that sort of veteran back who's ahead of him. Like, do you think people are going to talk themselves more into a chain, even if we don't yeah. see him getting those reps? Exactly. Like 
it's a great point where despite him running with the fifth group and running backs, he's still going to get steamed up now that Dalvin Cook doesn't go there. And I mean, that that is rich. It really is. And I think he's very talented. Mike McDaniel absolutely loves him. But Mike McDaniel also loves Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And this is a team that, you know, their rushing success is very dependent on offensive line. That is paper thin at the moment with their depth. And they struggled to create a counterpunch last mm-hmm. year when defenses started to figure out, you know, their intermediate and downfield passing game. And I think a big part of that could be, you know, putting these backs and featuring them in the receiving game, especially on second and third rounds. But we'll see. Um, people just love Devon A. Chain much more than I do. And I, I might get there by the end of preseason. Uh, but right now, I, I, I can't wrap my hand around. Yeah, I think the one good thing for A. Chain for me is that he's likely to be a player who we see factoring in one way or another in the return game. You know, I think it's not crazy to think that he could be part of the return game in Miami. He took the first kick return in the preseason. Exactly. So that's going to get him at least on the field. We know he's going to be active or we think he's likely to be active. No is the wrong word, but. And quickly, Bill, um, my co-host Hayden Winks is even more of a sicko than I am and went through and charted how many (laughs) special team snaps uh, all of like the rookies Mm -hmm. took. And I believe Devon a chain doubled up on all the other rookies for special team snaps. So like you said, that will keep him active on game days. And that matters because that might be the opportunity to get a handful of carries. If say Raheem Mostert, who gets injured every single year gets injured and they're down to two backs for, for part of a game or, or seven Ahmed fumbles. And so they don't want to turn to him. You know, I think that's the, that can be a difference maker just to get you that, that first sort of look in to get a coach who maybe likes you to say, okay, we can give him five carries a game. Maybe you start building a role that way. So it could be a slow burn. And so that could be a situation where it could be, you know, for maybe traditional fantasy football, not all that exciting because, you know, you're going to have a guy who's not going to be getting many carries early in the season if it pans out the way we sort of expecting. But for a, a market like best ball, where the incentives are heavily weighted in most leagues towards well, week 15, week 16, week 17, he could be very valuable by the end of the season. So I think it's it's tough to really gauge you know, how you want now, to value him depending on the situation. Because you came on my YouTube channel and talked through your five players you can't stop mm-hmm. drafting, I believe one of those was Samaj Piran. I don't know if you're still on I board am. with that, but he is going one running back spot after Devon aging. So if like that's the case, you're probably not ending up with a bunch of aging. No, I am not. But but Smash AP Ryan, I think, is we could talk about him all day. What 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 a <laughs> we have what, what an opportunity for Samaje <laughs> P. Ryan. Um no, I mean I think that's that, that's totally fair. And and I think, you know, it, it's it's high risk, high reward, which is the case. I think you maybe yeah. want that for for best ball. You want to be taking shots on players who, you know, have the upside to be the featured back in an offense that is very exciting, which the Dolphins could be, although they did. Um, looks like it's not going to be a major injury, but Teron Armstead did go down injured uh, in practice today. He said, told Terry Kill, I think he said, not injured, I'm just old, which same to be fair, but uh, that's a player that in the running game or the passing game, the Dolphins cannot afford to be without for any extended period of time. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no 
competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. We mentioned high-value touches, and I think the perfect example of seeing a situation where you have a guy competing to get those very specific high-value touches from a player who might get the majority of the touches in the backfield otherwise is currently happening, or at least the debate is happening, in Jacksonville, where Travis Etienne yeah. was drafted in the first round by, I guess it was the bulky Urban Meyer regime, but Doug Peterson comes in last year. Travis Etienne does not do well near the goal line, does not get a ton of receiving work, which is honestly kind of surprising given his success in college and given the relationship he had with Trevor Lawrence in college. But Etienne does not play a big role in the passing game. And now you enter Tank Bigsby, who feels like he might have the opportunity to get make major inroads both as a receiver and as the goal line back. And dare I throw in Jamichael Hayes' yes. name? Because in preseason week one, they got to the red zone in pure passing situations. Jamichael Hasty was the one that checked into the ballgame to pull Travis Etienne out of it. Um, I want the headline to be that we all acknowledge that Travis Etienne is the most explosive runner mm-hmm. on this team. He is so good from like the 10 yard line to the 10 yard line. Um, last year, however, he had 40 red zone carries, seventh most of any ball carrier in the NFL, and only converted those into four touchdowns. Now, yes, you can say that the blocking was bad, but what we have heard constantly from this front office, and not am I only a sicko for a preseason, Bill, you know this, I'm a sicko for NFL draft <laughs> and go through all the post-draft press conferences. And Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, Doug Peterson, have all talked about how One of our weaknesses last year was short yardage. And our buddy Nate Tice pointed out that they were 31st in the league last year, not just in the red zone, but throughout the entire field in running backs conversions in short yardage. And they said that was the reason why they brought in a different profile of someone like Tank Bigsby. So let me again clarify and state that no matter what, Travis Etienne surely is going to be a dominant player in terms of explosive runs in this offense. But what we saw in preseason week one, the only short yardage situation, a third and one with the first team, mm-hmm. the starters, they sub and tank Bigsby for that. It doesn't matter that he failed to convert. The attempt is all that matters. And then inside the red zone in a pure passing situation, we saw Jermichael hasty pop in. So is this a situation bill where like, Hey, weeks one and two, they go with Travis Etienne inside the five and inside the 10, those high value touches that we talked about. And if he falls flat in his face, that's when they take Tank Bigsby into the ballgame. Or is it, hey, Bigsby's already there and we're already, you know, subtracting these opportunities that are very important from Travis Etienne. That's what we're trying to wrap our head around right now. I mean, basically drafted in the third round. So, you know, meaningful draft capital for him expecting him to play a role in the offense. It's not like he's a sixth or seventh round pick where, you know, there's a decent chance he might get cut, might not even make the team. I mean, Bigsby is going to have a role here on this roster if he's active. So, you know, it it really isn't it, – it's tough because ETM might get, you know, 220 carries if he stays healthy, uh, which is exactly where he was last year. He might get 
35 receptions the way he did last year, but did fumble five times. And, and I think without getting those, those touchdown opportunities, you know, for a back who we see as maybe having significant, possibly league winning upside, if he got all those opportunities, if he was getting 60 catches, if he was getting 90% of the goal line work, it's just tough to see him getting a path to where he is actually having that role unless everything we're seeing right now is just a smokescreen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is one, two track. And then there's another one in the Jaguars that's worth tracking mm-hmm. too. It's their wide receiver oh. room because last year, God, I have the figure right here and I'll just try to remember exactly what it was. But Christian Kirk played something like 79% mm-hmm. of the snaps in teams, two wide receiver yeah. sets. Obviously they trade for Calvin Ridley, who has looked amazing in training camp. Um, and in this preseason week one, in multiple tight end sets, uh, it was Zay Jones and Calvin mm-hmm. Ridley on the outside for the Jaguars. And Christian Kirk got demoted to the bench. And that is important because Christian Kirk, in all of your leagues, is being drafted as the, I think, wide receiver 28 mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, for two wide receiver, you have to be basically a two wide receiver set player in order for that, I think, to pay off. Especially when an alpha <laughs> was brought in ahead of you. Um, and so I do like Christian Kirk. I love how Doug Peterson understands to maximize the strength of all of his players. But if you're only in there in 11 personnel sets, which I expect the Jaguars to be, you know, predominantly an 11 personnel set team. However, they did bring in multiple mm-hmm. tight ends and we saw them run 13 personnel during the first week of the preseason. It's getting me a bit. I mean, I, I think what teams are going to see especially a Doug Peterson led team which is you know Doug Peterson's mentor was Andy Reid I think you're going to see more teams emulate what the Chiefs did last year which is that they came out with more 12 and 13 personnel after trading away Tyreek Hill the Jaguars went out they draft Brenton Strange in the second round they have Luke Farrell behind Evan Ingram they sign Evan Ingram to a big extension um I think you're going to see teams get more comfortable going with bigger two, three tight end sets. You might have a specialized group for that. The Chiefs, for example, when they play out of 13 personnel, the wide receiver last year was almost always Justin Watson. It wasn't MVS. It wasn't Sky Moore. It wasn't any of those other guys. It was Justin Watson. So, you know, in, in those 12, in those 13 personnel sets, you're going to want a bigger wide receiver. Calvin Ridley makes yeah. sense. Christian Kirk does not necessarily make sense for that role. So um, I, I think, like like you said, I, I could see them being an 11 personnel team primarily. They certainly have the receivers to pull that off. Um, but I would imagine, especially early in the season, when you do have uh, Cam Robinson suspended, you're going to have a rookie tackle in Anton Harrison. You're going to have a, an inexperienced left tackle in Walker Little. I think you're probably going to want to play a little bigger just to give those guys some help uh, and, and get an extra 10 on the field just to make it easier for them when it comes to pass blocking. Yeah, and especially when defenses possibly treat your starting tight end and mm-hmm. Evan Ingram like a wide receiver in some situations. And so, you know, putting even more tight ends out there, having this you know, unconventional personnel grouping that, you know, teams don't play more than 10% of the time uh, could create some mismatches that, you know, Doug Pearson can really dial up. Let's switch leagues. Let's talk about the Bears um, because that's another situation kind of similar to Miami. We could talk about the Eagles as well. Like, uh, let, let's do those both at the same time, Bears and Eagles, because okay. those are two teams where there's exciting players there. Uh, I think players people want to be drafting. There's younger players involved with Roshan Johnson and Chicago. Um, you have the the guys acquired in Philadelphia, where you have 
Um, a ton I, of them. Uh, everyone. <laughs> I mean, Trey Sermon is getting hype here and there. Still. Yeah, the number one man. Uh, yes, you know, yes. like like there's there's these exciting names, and I think the dream, of course, is to have everything somehow consolidate to a situation where Rashad Penny or or Killer Herbert right. get 250 carries, and you know, are super efficient the way they've been in small samples. But Josh, in looking at these two situations. Have you seen anything that makes you more confident in sort of projecting how they're going to play out at least early in the season when everybody's available? For the Eagles, no. For the Bears, uh, a little bit more. Let's put it that way. Um, Khalil Herbert took every single running back snap with Justin Fields. Uh, Granted, I think that was only seven. But he did even have a touchdown catch, which, Bill, whenever you talk about Khalil Herbert, the public is very much, well, he's a zero in the passing game. Well, one – all Bears running backs have been zeros in the passing game. They're like 30th mm-hmm. in running back usage in the passing game. Uh, but two, it was great to see him catch that screen and take it to the house after the catch. So just in terms of usage, again, he ran every single first-team snap. Then Deontay Foreman entered. Then Tristan Ebner. And then Roshan Johnson. I test. Roshan Johnson looked mm-hmm. very good. I always talk about it. Good backs you know, pick up yards that are blocked for them. Great backs create mm-hmm. on their own. And Roshan, who is very good in passing situations, was also creating yards on his own in the running game. So at the very least, do I expect him to run above Tristan Ebner next? Yes. Um, But for at least last year, you know, we do this usage show every single week, every Tuesday on our YouTube channel called Stats versus Film. And it was very fascinating to chart the Bears running back usage when you had two very, really talented running backs and David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. And it was going two series to David Montgomery, then one to Cleo Herbert. Two series for David Montgomery, then one to Cleo Herbert. And while we talked about with other teams, they use them situationally, passing downs, you know, short yardage, so on and so forth. The Bears weren't really doing that at all. So are they going to keep that this year? Is it going to be two for the starter, then one for the backup, or do they mm-hmm. change it up? These are all questions that we don't have answered. Really. Yeah, there's really an interesting kind of consistent trend for teams who have a quarterback playing an essential part of the run game. And I think about three players that come to mind there, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, and Justin Fields in Chicago, they don't have heavy screen games. Like, you know, they they don't really throw to the the running back very often. Even when you have a guy like Miles Sanders, who had a receiving role early in his career, like those guys are going to have 20 catches. They're they're just not like, there's not a lot of swing passes. There's not a lot of stuff to go around usually when they do throw they're throwing downfield far more often so i i'm I'm interested to see if they have more of a receiving game throwing to their backs this season and then i mean the numbers for cool herbert last year are amazing uh the, the rush yards over expectation numbers were really really exciting relative to the other guys in that backfield david montgomery I think I'm going to look it up now as I talk, had negative rush yards over expectation last year, if I'm not mistaken, whereas Herbert was wildly positive. I got you with some Khalil Herbert stats. How about this? Khalil Herbert has averaged five yards per carry through 232 carries four times last year. He got 12 plus carries, and those weekly finishes ended up as the running back one, the running back 15, the running back 18. And the running back, wow. 26, 17.1% of his carries last season went for 10 or more yards, which only trailed J.K. Mm-hmm. Dobbins. And just 13.2% of his carries failed to gain yardage, which is fifth lowest rate 
in the league. I think all those line up to point out that Cleo Herbert is maybe one of the more underappreciated runners. Mm-hmm. In the yeah, 165 rush yards over expectation last year on 129 carries. David Montgomery, minus 53 rush yards over expectation on 201 carries. So, you know, you never want to take that as the sole uh, model of, of running back value. There's things that come into play there. You know, it can be influenced by one really long run where you're just, you know, you break two tackles and then you're gone for 60 yards. But I mean, he has that explosiveness in a way that David Montgomery certainly did not. And, you know, as much as I like Deontay Foreman, as much as I think Roshan Johnson can play a role in this offense, frankly, as much as I even like Travis Homer, who I think was a solid player in Seattle, it feels like Herbert is the most explosive back in this offense by a considerable margin to me. Let's talk about the Eagles backfield because that one is yeah. more difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, so all of the returning players set out. So that means Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. They did not play in preseason week one. So that left DeAndre Swift, who's being drafted as the running back 25. He started. He got six snaps. Then he exited. Then in came Rashad Penny as a running back 34. And there's other ones, even though they were rotating like Trey Sermon. I think they're non-existent now. So what does this mean? Who knows? Um what my brain is coming back to, and you you brought up this with the Kansas City Chiefs and how it's different personnel groupings for different situations and different plays. I think everyone's trying to replace Miles Sanders in this offense from last year. And it makes sense. You know, scored a bunch of touchdowns, was effective running the football because that offensive line was so good. Um, I don't think it's going to be one player to do it. You know, there is minimal investment in Rashad Penny. There's mm-hmm. minimal investment in DeAndre Swift. I think that sometimes they love Kenneth Gainwell and sometimes I don't I don't know if they love Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, I just think it's going to be much more of a rotation this year than it was last year. And I don't think we can, you know, uh, equate the high value touches that DeAndre Swift got last season with the Detroit Lions because the vast majority of those are in the receiving game. Mm-hmm. And I believe he had double the targets um, than the Philadelphia Eagles running backs had combined mm-hmm. last year. So um, I think he can be an explosive runner, but I'm still not certain who to draft from this group. And hopefully I will in three weeks. <laughs> well, well I, I think the frustrating part, Josh, is I, I think about the Eagles and I think about Howie Roseman and I know how he loves, loves to make trades. And to me, I wouldn't be shocked if the Eagles gave 100 carries to a guy who's not even on their roster right now at some point oh. in 2023. That makes it even tougher to gauge this offense because there are certain teams where the guys who are there in, in August are going to be the guys who are the focal points of the offense. Bill Belichick, the Patriots are not bringing somebody from the outside after they sign Zeke who's going to get 100 carries this year. The Eagles could very easily go out and trade for someone or sign someone who gets cut in camp. And they're very comfortable plugging somebody in and thinking that behind that offensive line, they're going to be effective. So that makes this an even more difficult situation for me. Yeah. Uh, it's one that I just want more information on. Yes. And I think that this week, um, Nick Sirianni came out and said, I want all of our running backs to get hit during training camp. Mm-hmm. So maybe we will see some different types of usage and details that I'll, you know, take to heart and my brain too deeply. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll see what Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott and how they're folded into the Swift and Penny dynamic. That's actually a good question. If you could 
if you could somehow have the ability to ask any NFL coach oh, no. one question about how they really were going to lay out their usage for a certain positional group yeah. during the regular season. Of course, who knows? People are get hurt. But if everyone's healthy, if yep. you could use truth serum or beg or call in a favor and you get to know exactly one situation, how it's going to be planned to be used from day one that you have, I guess, very little information on right now. What would that situation be? And can that can their mind change, or is this just how it is for the entire season? This is this is you're going to get to know how they feel heading into week one. I think it's do the Panthers plan on giving Miles Sanders passing down duties? Mm. Um, he's being drafted right now as running back twenty. They have constantly said yes. Um, do Staley. When he worked with Miles Sanders during his first two years, mm-hmm. he, you know, got something like 70 targets and then 52 targets in 11 games or whatever it was, or maybe that was 36. I'm confusing my numbers here. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it was a lot more opportunity in the receiving game than he saw in his final two years when, you know, he was attached to Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Um, when they signed him, it was because of that relationship. And Frank Reich has continuously said that this is a three down back. Now, Miles Sanders has a groin injury, and he is going to miss all of the rest of the preseason games. Um, so that opens a door for a guy who I think is just a guy in Chuba Hubbard. Oof. No offense, Chuba. No, I mean, I'm serious. I, I think that's a fair statement. Harsh. Um, but I know that Miles Sanders, again, these last two years has been probably the least efficient pass catching back in the league. But if I think injuries were turned off, firmly – believe that they would have and they would be giving Miles Sanders passing down work. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, again, the crack might widen a bit more for uh, Chuba Hubbard to claim that role as we head into the regular season. What about you? What would be your answer? Mm-hmm. Would it involve like Alexander Madison potentially? Mm, that's a good uh, that would be a good one. I think that would make sense. I would go maybe Giants receivers. Oh, because that is just a not that it's necessarily the most exciting opportunity. Like no one's going to get 120 catches out of that, but just total chaos to me, that receiving core. And it might just be who stays healthy after week four, but there's like seven guys who could hmm. theoretically be starters at wide receiver for them. You you know what the real answer should probably be is, hey, is Sky Moore going to be a full-time yeah, player? That's true. Um, because as it's situated at the moment, despite everyone getting hyped up about the quote unquote wide receiver one for the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think any of those guys are going to pass a thousand receiving yards. But like, let's say if Sky Moore is out there, you know, for 80 plus percent of the snaps, he probably does surpass 1,000 yards. Oh, you know, you can get that as wide receiver 44. Right. I know what it is. Ravens I, wide receivers? No, I'm asking Sean. I'm asking Sean Payton, is anybody actually going to get the Michael Thomas role oh. and Michael Thomas usage? Because that is a. That, that, that's a, a NFL top five wide receiver usage level. Okay. Th- maybe this should have just been the show. Um, <laughs> here's one more. Is B. John Robinson going to get 320 touches? Yeah. It's a because if he does, he probably should be the fourth overall pick in fantasy drafts or the fifth overall pick in fantasy drafts right now. It just feels like they're going to find excuses to get him the ball as much as possible. But then when you hear the offensive weapon stuff, is that like a positive? To hear? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
at worst, he's going to put out there what Chris McCaffrey did during his first NFL season mm-hmm. when Chris McCaffrey was splitting the backfield with both Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton in terms of rushers. Because what we have seen with recent top 10 backs, if they if they don't split the backfield, they get 300 touches, they get 10 touchdowns, and everything's gravy. But Tyler Algier was super effective. He was. But they're not going to just totally forget about Tyler Algier. And if Bijan, who is talented enough to do it, but if he's the one doing all the difficult stuff, we're like moving into the slot and moving out wide and not just playing purely in the backfield. Um, hey, Arthur, let's just hand the ball off and throw it and dump it down to Bijan Robinson 300 times this year and call it a day. Mm-hmm. And I think Cordero Patterson could still have a role in that offense somewhere. Yeah, I think that's fair, too. I think that's fair. <laughs> just, just the muttering of a, a Kyle Pitts and Drake London enthusiast. Uh, just so many running back touches to go around. I want to ask you about the Broncos because we've already had a couple players go down. Tim Patrick done for the year. KJ Hamler off the roster as he's dealing with uh, a heart condition. I hope he ends up being able to return. Um, But that is a fascinating situation. So many different players competing for touches at running back, at wide receiver, at tight end. Did we find out anything about how the Broncos might be using their personnel in 2023. Yeah, and mainly revolves around their their tight ends. Um, Greg Dulcich, who is being drafted right now as a tight end 13 mm-hmm. uh, because he's a great receiver, um, dating back to his college days as well. Um, he was only out there in multiple tight end sets. He was not the single tight end. So as much as we t- talked about three wide receiver sets versus two wide receiver sets, it's even more important mm-hmm. if a player – in your fantasy lineup on a weekly basis that you can count on at the tight end position for him to be there in single tight end sets. It allows for far more opportunity. And we know that touchdowns are such an important part Mm -hmm. of fantasy scoring. Um, And I mean, the key here is, you know, Adam Troutman was a seemingly Sean Payton favorite with New Orleans Saints. One of the first moves he made once taking over the Denver Broncos was to trade for Adam Troutman. And so, again, getting someone like that at the tight end 13, it's very, very rich. And as Hayden and I have said, we think the public has been awful this offseason at drafting the tight end twos and, quote unquote, the tight end threes. The guys are going in like the 16th, 17th or 18th round. I think you're going to outproduce a lot of those tight ends that are, again, being selected from like that 13 to, I don't know, 18 mark right now. This really feels like a year where the tight ends who are getting drafted at the very end of fantasy football drafts, especially on a format like underdog where it's, you know, where it is 18 rounds, you're, there's just so many interesting players being drafted in that range that seem almost as appealing as the guys getting drafted six, seven rounds earlier. Yep. Yep. I'm totally with you. And, Luke Musgrave is that guy. <laughs> I uh, you, you know, I have to bring him up. Like there is, there is no player. I think from last week to the first week of the NFL season, that's going to change their draft status more than Luke Musgrave. I know a lot of people are like, well, one, who is Luke Musgrave? But two, he's a rookie. Um, and rookies never do anything at tight end. So often you just have veteran roadblocks mm-hmm. or even just speed bumps ahead of them that prevent them from being, full-time tight ends Mm -hmm. and you can look no further than like Michael Mayer with the Las Vegas Raiders when it's Austin Hooper and uh, Colby God, what's his name? Anyways, uh, there's, there's one other guy there and they're just veterans that have played for a really long time. And so for me, it's going to keep 
Michael Mayer on the bench. Mm -hmm. But for Luke Musgrave, he's already out there and played every single snap with the starters. He's only competing with another veteran tight end. And when they go four wide, they aren't taking Luke Musgrave off. They're just detaching him from the line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. because he's so good at running down the seam and being that intermediate or even vertical target. Uh, the Packers are all in on Luke Musgrave, and I'm all in, and he can be had as tight end 24 right now. Yeah, I mean, this is the – I believe I put it in a column. If it plays out, these wide receivers and tight ends, if they play out in terms of usage the way our Mike Clay is projecting, this would be the second youngest group of wide receivers and tight ends in terms of usage, I believe, in the last 20 years. Wow. Like it is a staggeringly young group. And that's an opportunity for someone like Musgrave, where, like you said, there's not that. Even at wide receiver, there's not a Devontae Adams who's going to hog 180, right. 200 targets. Like Christian Watson could be that guy. Romeo Dobbs could get a bunch of targets. Jaden Reed could be a useful player as a rookie, but it's kind of an open book. It's sort of a, a blank canvas. And there's really an opportunity more so than it would be in a typical year for a tight end like Musgrave to be a featured part of the offense quite early. Yeah, and even after him, it's like Hunter Henry's going as tight end 26. Hayden mm-hmm. Hurst is going as tight end 27. Jake Ferguson as tight end 22. And we have seen Dak Prescott love his tight ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got Dalton Schultz all the way up to like a tight end three or four season. And then in a bad year where he was hurt, Dalton Schultz was a tight end 10 in points per game. Mm-hmm. And certainly seems like Jake Ferguson has claimed that single tight end role and also out there in multiple tight end sets. And so if that's not a Kellen Moore thing and it's more of a Dak Prescott, I like throwing to my tight end thing, Mm -hmm. then Jake Ferguson is also going to be another one of these tremendous values at tight end. It's the year of the late round tight end, Bill. What can Mm -hmm. go wrong? It does feel that way. It does kind of feel like it is the the year of the late round tight end to someone who's taken a lot of three or even four tight end builds late in drafts on underdog. I'm with you there 100%. Josh, let's finish with one more situation. And this is a situation where I think people are optimistic about three receivers. And I'm just wondering if the offense can support all three receivers at their current ADP. And that is the Seattle Seahawks. Did we learn anything about how Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be used in the context of this offense during so far in the preseason? We did. Uh, one, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett did not play. Mm-hmm. But despite that, Jackson Smith and Jigba played in only the slot and only in 11 personnel, Mm. three wide receiver sets. So basically he was practicing in a game in the role he's going to play. And so again, going back to two wide receiver sets, almost certainly that's still going to be DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And those snaps won't be pulled away from them, but it's not a, a case to me, Bill, where we can take the team's usage of, wide receivers and tight ends from last year when I think they were 26th in the league in three wide receiver sets Mm -hmm. and then impart it onto this year uh, because that's what happens when you spend a first round pick in the position. Uh, I did love, and I'm sure you did too, to see the wide open spaces that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to have Mm -hmm. over the middle of the field when you just imagine DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett running down the field. No question. And then it's just this awesome area of space for Jackson Smith and Jigba to do his best work. Uh, the only thing I'll add on top of that, obviously, DK Metcalf is going a f- two rounds earlier, but in the same round, JSN is being selected before Tyler Lockett at this moment. Would would you support that? Do you think that's a, a, a good idea? I mean, I just love both of them. Like, just depending on the draft, I'll probably take one of them. 
You know, like every fourth draft, I probably have one Seahawks wide receiver. And I keep talking myself into all these guys. I talk myself into Kenneth Walker. I talk myself into Jack, Zach Charbonnet. And last night, and said them from the mirror bill and said, you know what? I should probably just be taking Geno Smith and forgetting about everyone else at this point. <laughs> like, I love this offense. It, it, it really is exciting. And I think there's... It, it's it's rare because like there is real downside to like if Gino just takes is a step there? backwards. If Gino, I don't think I don't think he's going to though. I I don't believe so. But I just did this big project, Josh, where I was looking at all these different quarterbacks over the last twenty years, and I, I was charting for every team. How often did they play their starting quarterback? How often did they have to go to their number two, their number three? And the same thing for opposing defenses as well. And I would just come across these guys who would have, you know, a breakout season spurred by a way lower than their historic interception rate. Um, Josh McCown, a friend of yours, had a year where he had, he, you know, Josh McCown had a good career. He was around for forever. I mean, I, he's, I'm looking at him in 2003 with the Cardinals. He had a year with the Bears where he threw one interception on 224 pass attempts and got a big contract the year after from Tampa Bay or a meaningful contract from Tampa Bay. And Josh McCown is a good football player, but he's not a 0.4% interception rate guy over the course of his career. Gino had a career interception rate before last year of three 3.7%, way too high for a starter last year, cut that in half to 1.9%. And yep. there was nothing to me about how Gino played on the field that concerns me, but it's just what happens if he starts throwing interceptions? What happens if he's forcing more throws in? What happens if you know um, his interception rate spikes, which I think is more in the realm of possibility for him than it is for other people? This is the same organization that, frankly, I think wanted Drew Locke to win this job or expected Drew Locke to be their quarterback when they traded for him last season. That's my only concern about about the situation is what happens if the Seahawks lose faith in Geno? Um, Well, then it's going to be a sad season. That's what's going to (laughs) happen. That's a fair, I'd say fair way to put it. But again, <laughs> but I, I'm also drafting plenty of Seahawks. To be fair, I'm not not saying this should preclude people. You're from saying it's a possibility. Just saying it's in the realm of possibility. Just just as you're probabilistically thinking about the NFL season, there is a scenario where the Seahawks are frustrating. Yep. But let's not let's not live in that world. Let's live in a world where the Seahawks are exciting. Let's live in a world where we're building great teams, and let's build. Let's live in a world where people are checking out josh's work on youtube josh where can people do that yeah it's just the underdog fantasy football channel it is a big month for all of you we have videos posting every single day and uh maybe the series that all of you will enjoy the most bill was a part of Mm. just the five players you can't stop drafting we've done it with him we've done with rich rebar uh we've done it with brett coleman i mean so many greats have have come through and um there's a bunch of those about a dozen of them on the channel at the moment um, it's, it's a wonderful time of the year and it's only going to get even better towards week one, Bill. So exciting. Definitely check that out. Obviously, uh, as I'm doing, you can find Josh. You can't find Josh drafting an underdog because you're not allowed to, but <laughs> you can, you can find Josh talking about drafting an underdog. Yes, there we go. Fellow underdog employees. <laughs> you can find me though. Yes. No odd job. No odd job. Uh, making bad picks on underdog for the next month until the season begins. But Josh, always a pleasure. Thank you for coming on, my friend. Appreciate it. See you next time, Bo. All right. Thanks so much to Josh Norris from underdog. Glad having Josh on really feel like 
you know, the people who are focusing very intently on fantasy at this point of the year are people who are paying the closest attention to the preseason, really learning more about how these teams are approaching these situations. Very useful information if you're playing fantasy football, if you're playing best ball, just if you're a hardcore NFL fan, which I'm hoping a lot of the people listening to this show are. We have more coming next week. I believe we'll actually even have two shows next week, including a bonus show that I think a lot of people will be excited to hear when it comes to previewing the NFL season. So more on that next week, but hope you guys enjoy this one and more football conversation on the way.